to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. We are going to be looking at um, this idea, continue this idea of train us for eternity. Um, and now we're going to turn and take a look at this idea of Sabbath rest. Um, so we spent two weeks kind of looking at um, that First Timothy 4 passage on uh, know yourself. Pay close attention to yourself and the teaching. Know yourself and the doctrine. And so we saw where Paul made that emphasis to, to Timothy um, that it's not just the knowledge points that you have about God. It's not just your knowledge of God. It's, it's how you're applying that. If your doctrines and your knowledge of God don't lead you to be loving and merciful and compassionate and Christ-like and truthful, then you've, you've missed it. And so uh, we took two weeks looking at that. And, we, and that idea of pay close attention to yourself, you've kind of got two categories there. You have some people some inside the church that, that aren't paying close attention to themselves, and, and they're just living in outright sin, Right. And so we have a lot of people, we're in the Bible Belt, who assume, probably your neighbors and family members and friends and, and coworkers who assume that, yeah, I'm going to heaven, of course. I mean, something happened like 12 years ago at the church we were in, and we really got hurt, and we haven't been back, but I mean, I'm a really good person. You're, you're misunderstanding. And so just that idea of uh, we're really good, and so, but living in outright sin that you're never that people are never, never going back and seeking confession of sin and things and, and, and repentance. And so they are literally um, just living an obvious pattern sin. And so we, we talked about some of those on that idea of paying close attention to yourself, the, even those seven deadly sins, envy, sloth, pride, wrath, gluttony, lust, greed, and then just desires, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, some of those different things there, Um, spiritual pride, sexual sins, um, immaturity, attitudinal sins, anger, hatred, being deceitful and manipulative. And so all those things, Paul says, know yourself, be aware of these things that you're doing. These sins, but also we talked about what about those things that like I'm I'm a believer and I'm trying not to have those secret sins or these sins that I just justify, but maybe just the way I'm bent, I'm just a jerk to people who I work around. Like I'm always rude. I I don't really get full understanding. I step into conversations and I hear just a snippet and I come in with a a fix it. Well, you know what you should do? Well, you know what you should do? (laughs) Our family, we would never do that. Oh, you're having problems with that? That's why we do what we do. That we would never do that. Everyone in your office goes, thank you. I would never come to your church. I never want anything to do. If that's what Christianity is. So sometimes our personalities, and we talked about that, uh, certain ways we're bent. Um, they can lead us to be sinful. I do not mean that um, you're sinful just in your personality, um, whether that's an extroverted or an introverted, whether that's even, the, remember we talked about um, the head, heart, feet people who measure spirituality by head knowledge. You're not sinful for doing that. You may fall into sin if you're judging everyone because they don't know as much as you. And someone says something that you disagree with in small group, and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know their family's a whole complete heretic. 
And so, no, now, now your personality of being head knowledge person has led you to judgmental self-righteous sin. If it's, uh, you're judging people, you're like, man, I, I've got seven appointments this week of just sharing the gospel with people. And you talk to your friends like, hey, you know, I'm sharing the gospel with these people. So have you led anyone to Christ lately? Like, oh, it's been years. Oh, wow. Maybe I should not even hang out with this person. Because I'm measuring it by feet, by, by me going and doing, right? And so I'm measuring things, so now I'm judging them for that. Or um, we're, when we're on a college campus, um, I had a lot of uh, international students, and when I would try to get lunch with them, and though I remember several, this happened several times, I'd get lunch with them and sit down with them, and they would, we'd be having lunch and everything, and then this awkward place come. And, and, and I haven't even gone there yet in the conversation, and they'd say, hey, Sankey, are you a Christian? And so I was like, oh, great. That's a great opportunity when an international student coming from wherever, you're like, oh, you know, the Holy Spirit, this is like Acts chapter two, right? And so, uh, and then like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm a believer, a follower of Christ. And, and they're like, hmm. And their body language would change and they would tighten up. And they, their, their whole body language would just come shut down. And I'd be like, hey, I, I just noticed, is, is there something wrong with that? And they said, I suppose you're probably wanting to now try to get me to accept Jesus into my heart also. I say, well, well, no, actually, I just wanted to get to know you. Like, I mean, we can talk about that. I'd love to talk about that. And they go, well, those, those people at that one ministry, they come to me in my cafeteria and they sat down with me and they told me that I'm going to hell, my whole family's going to hell. If I don't accept Jesus right then, that I'm going to hell. And that the reason that God brought me over here was so I wouldn't have to go to hell. And then when I didn't pray with them right then, They've never talked to me since, and it happened four or five times. So, anyone seen that? So, good intentions. We, we could even go, hey, the gospel went out. The gospel went out, right? Well, just know that, that, man, you've got some trashed people behind you, like this bus that ran over them in the name of doing the Lord's work. So, there's things that we can do as Christians, even, that is not done out of love and compassion and truth, and, and all those things. So, it's, and, and all those, remember, don't walk away going, so are we not supposed to share the gospel? That's not what Sankey's saying. I wish I had Jim Gaffigan's, the little voice that he goes into when he does his thing. So, but like, just know that's not the message you walk away with. But our tendency is to um, not be as loving, not to, to actually fall into sin in some of those categories. So we looked at that. Um, in all of those, Paul's saying, know yourself, watch yourself, and see how the, uh, the teaching, the doctrines are being applied in your life. Um, I, I could ask you, like, hey, I could ask you to raise your hands if, if you've been hurt more by Christians than non-Christians. And a lot of times the people would just be really honest, uh, start thinking through the last five years, the last 10 years, the last 15, man, probably so. And some people have some horrible, horrible, horrible scars. If you've been through some either leadership abuses or scandals, or money-stealing, robbing situations, or sexual abuses in the church. Every week, stuff's coming out. So horrible things. And people cover it up, and people hide it. Um, you know, in the last few, few weeks, we've had people come out saying that this happened, this, this abuse went on for so long, and the person carried that abuse and felt like they were the one that was wrong, because if they told anyone, it would take down that pastor, or it would hurt the work of the Lord that's going on through that church. So I'll just keep being abused. That's not Jesus. That's not Jesus at all. That's no intentions of it. That is satanic. And so we've got to think through that. Like, um, who's been hurt more by Christians 
than they have non-Christians. Um, did they always maliciously do something? Or sometimes it was them just, just them being themselves. And so sometimes that's it. Sometimes it's gossip that's happened. You share something in group, and then someone takes it to the workplace and like makes it a thing. Well, you, you know the Smiths? Well, you should hear what's going on with their family, what's going on with their marriage, what's going on with their kids. Paul says, wake up. Pay close attention to your life and the teaching. It's not just about these knowledge points. And so this week, um, learn, moving beyond learning to be aware of ourselves and this idea of train us for eternity, we want to now take our eyes off of being aware of ourselves and how the doctrine applies to then look at this idea of Sabbath rest. And so all, let me do a little side note to this. If the Holy Spirit doesn't bring renewal, if, if you're not asking and even expecting and anticipating the Holy Spirit to continue to grow you, if you're just coming to a service and thinking, oh man, I hope these songs really are good, or I hope Sankey doesn't go as long today, or I hope that, you know, it's just, oh man, that, that's not spiritual growth. If the Holy Spirit doesn't do something within our hearts and change us internally, then it's all a waste. No matter if we, if we had four big events this weekend and all kinds of attractional things and, and people were coming and going and coming and going, if the Holy Spirit's not in it, it, it it's, it's for nothing. So the Bible, Jesus was very clear on that. And so we have to have the Holy Spirit. And so the reason I'm doing this Sabbath rest is because I believe that for lost people, what, what they need is the Holy Spirit to come and open their eyes first so that they can have rebirth and regeneration and new life, new um, being born again comes from the Spirit very clearly. And so for believers also, if the Holy Spirit doesn't come and, and break us out of our husk of just comfort and break us out of our, here's what I think Christianity is, looks like and here's what my expectation for church is, here's what my expectation... If, if he doesn't break us out of that and, and, and renew the heart, then what's the point? And so rest can get us to the God who does that. You need the God. You don't need a system. You don't need a program. You don't need a class. Those things are fine. Classes are good. Well, we would love to have classes here. All kinds of things that the church can be doing, but just know that those are, those are like sticks. If the fire of the Holy Spirit doesn't come and do something, it's, it's, nothing's going on. And so, for whatever reason, that's also in God's play. You can be doing everything right. People pray for years and years and years for revival and for renewal and for things to happen. If the Holy Spirit just doesn't come and blow on that and, and expand that, and so we just keep praying. And so, uh, my overall purpose on this 10 to 12 weeks, this train is for eternity, is for spiritual renewal. It, it's awareness of where our hearts are at with God, awareness of how we are, maybe our blind spots or, or personal sins, a chosen sin, but then also to learn that God is always working around us for us to understand how to discern and engage in God's kingdom work. And so um, being aware of ourselves and learning Sabbath rest is two huge pieces in that. So you can have good knowledge, but if you walk around and you're banging into one with your sin and you're, you're being a jerk to everyone, well, I mean, it's not helping the kingdom, right? Um, if you, even if you have good knowledge, if you are doing through the, going through the motions and run the bus route and doing these things and these things, but the Holy Spirit's absent again. And so for your own heart, it's not just about your actions. Are you taking time to be alone with the Lord, to rest in the Lord? And so we're going to talk more for two weeks about that idea. Um, the main idea today, um, learning to rest, 
love, and enjoy God and his kingdom while we're on earth prepares us for eternity. So I'm going to say that again. Um, The main idea is learning to rest. So this idea of Sabbath rest, and in that, love, and in that, enjoy God and his kingdom while on the earth, it prepares us. It trains us for eternity. So you can see how that fits into training us for eternity. If we think of, and you may think of Sabbath rest, you hear the word Sabbath, uh, I'd say two things, misconceptions about Sabbath. Um, most people in the church go, I, I just really don't know what that looks like. I don't know. It seems like there's kind of some weird stuff going on in the Old Testament. Don't know what we're supposed to do, what we're not supposed to do. And so what is true Sabbath rest? And then there's other people who may be on the other side of that, just going like, well, hey, I, I know that there's all these rules and, and we, we stick to it firmly but it's just not very enjoyable. And, I, and, and the more I stick to the list, the more I feel like I'm not meeting the list and God's not happy with me. So that, that's kind of defeating the purpose, right? And so misconceptions on the idea of Sabbath rest. Um, if Sabbath is viewed as another task or another restriction, what you can't do, then we completely miss the whole intent of God in the Sabbath. We miss God's intent of the Sabbath. But if we think of Sabbath differently as an invitation to be with God, and then in that, it, it, it's awkward. In that, to be able to sit alone with God in some solitude and silence, to be alone with him, to, to give the time for him to, to bring things to our attention, to change us, now, now that's a different situation. Because I think most people in the church would say they want a deeper knowledge of God, they want a deeper understanding of God, but they also want a, a deeper intimacy with God. There are some who, who think that a quick 20-minute sermon with life application points, just one, two, three, will do that. Just, just you know, the, the church's mantra is kind of just, just, just keep crushing life in Jesus' name. Just keep crushing life in Jesus' name. Like, that, that wasn't, you know, 2,000 years of the church. And so, some people that want spiritual growth, they understand it's a process. And most people would admit they don't spend as much time alone with God in his word, prayer, um, maybe meditation and contemplation. And when I use the word meditation, I'm not talking Eastern thought philosophy of just sitting in silence. No, meditation on the word. Let the the word guide you in meditation, contemplation, thinking through the word. Um, It's also true, how can we have spiritual growth when our lives are so busy? In our culture, we're stacked with so much going on. Um, and then we have, we do have free hours. Here's, here's the cycle that most of us are in. We feel guilty that we don't spend enough time with God. And man, if I just had some, if I had some extra time, if I had some free time, I, I really, really want to do that. And then what happens? You're, on Thursday, you find that your schedule opens up. Hey, I've got like a free six hours on Saturday. Hey, I'd love for us to go and do this. And then what happens? And you're like, you go and have a good time. And then you're like, oh man. I didn't spend any time. So that's this cycle, right? And we feel like God's just up there like, you idiot, you fool. This is why I don't love you. And that's what a lot of people walk around in. They won't admit it, but they do. And so um, that's the cycle. So, so what we're after is spiritual growth. We read things like this, um, the, the Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And yet, for a lot of people, they go, I just haven't experienced that. Now, they will grantedly say, I probably am not setting aside a marginalized time to be just alone in his presence. In fact, we're a people who struggle, struggle, struggle with just silence. When you're driving, most people, they want to put in the AirPods. They want to be, they have music going at all times. So just awkward silence. So I've been doing this thing for several months now. Um, it, this goes back thousands and thousands, or you know, 
hundreds of years, but thousands of years actually, these, these meditation times of, of just focusing, so solitude and silence. And so, so I, I did this, and it may sound weird to you, may, you may think, why would you do this? I do this on purpose. I'll set it like four minutes on my phone. So this is, we're gonna actually work on this next week. Four minutes and just, and not beyond, not just prayer times. This isn't just prayer times. This isn't word time, just four minutes. And I spend the first two minutes just going, and I'm, I'm not waiting for an audible voice because I'd be a fool if I was because it has, hasn't happened yet. So I'm not waiting for an audible voice like, Sankey, do this. And so but I'm, I'm praying, and so I, first two minutes, and then to sit there in two or three minutes of silence, just, just trusting that the Holy Spirit can bring stuff up. Maybe, hey, Sankey, you treated Jamie and the boys horribly last night. You, you wanted control. You wanted to you know, be quiet or you're doing this or you wanted freedom and schedule and, and something happened, interrupted your little kingdom. Man, that, that's a thought that comes up. Um, little things, so spending time, that's awkward. So you know what I do? I'll get three or four minutes and what I begin to do, I start listing out all the stuff that I need or I want or the things I'm worried and then I'm like, oh, reset, four minutes again. And then just a four minute, and I have to reset. And that's not a failure. And that, but you probably think like, oh, this isn't working. This isn't working. I'm wasting this four minutes. Four minutes is not, and you know what happens? Four minutes sometimes turns into 10, 12. And guess what? At the, at the, at the six, six to 10, it's beautiful silence. Thoughts are just coming up. I just trust and believe it's the Holy Spirit. I'm resting, not just resting like I'm trying to take a nap. Thoughts are coming up of usually conviction of sin. Do you think he wants that? You think he'd want you to know and be aware of the times that you're short with your wife or short with your kids or arrogant with the people you work with? You think he would like to have some time set aside? And so in that, I also realize this. The creator of the universe is the audience. He's my only audience. Not distractions, not noise, not songs. And I'm literally just thinking on him. And you know what begins to come about? My thoughts begin to go to how I shouldn't even be able to do that. With all my sin, as things come up, are you kidding me? I'm sitting before the creator of the universe who we see in the Bible. I mean, bam, he, he kills some people off, right? Like he allows some things to happen and you're sitting alone in the presence of God. And so in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And I think a lot of believers don't experience that. So I'm trying to just keep talking us about this idea, being aware of yourself. And now let's talk about sitting before the Lord. Again, you may have a, a different view of that. Um, two walkaways is, first of all, I want you to walk away with today, consider the awe factor of God himself. So in that, why does God Sabbath, and why does he think that we should? I want you to consider the awe factor. You may have a lot of awe factors and all kinds of things. And sometimes I've got three or four big things that I have a lot of awe at, and God, he just doesn't make the cut. He doesn't really make that. I mean, we're supposed to say he does, but actually my, my thoughts, my life, especially my sin choices, show that he's not really up there as an awe factor. And what does Sabbath have to do with the awe factor? So I want you to think through that. Um, and then secondly, we're kind of just at the very end, we're going to look at this, considering Sabbath rest in the church age. And I'm actually going to do this, and it's going to frustrate some of you guys, because at the end, everyone wants like, so what are the two steps? And I don't really do a lot of, hey, what's, here's the two steps at the end. I'm going to press this off on you in the end for you to think this week about what does that mean in the church age? What does that mean for us? Probably good discussions as a family, as, as individuals, as small groups. So Next week, I'm also going to give you some 
options on that, some, some ideas, some resources to help with that. But this first part, first part just considering awe in God. Um, in the Old Testament, um, uh, we may have the um, words up there, uh, Shabbat is the Old Testament Hebrew. Um, and so that, that word, um, which partially translates for us to Sabbath, um, it meant to stop or to cease working. So there's two main words there, Shabbat, and then also this, um, and we can practice this one together, Nuach. Nuach. So everyone, let's do this together. Everyone do one, two, three. Nuach. Now turn and look at somebody and do the same thing. Nuach. So it's fun. And so that, a lot of those Hebrew words have that kind of ending. And, and, and so I loved Hebrew class. I did not hate Hebrew class. But the guy that was leading it was really intensive with it. So he really got into it. It means to sit down or to dwell and to settle. And so this is not just this casual idea like, um, like you know, after Thanksgiving dinner, after you go and you just kind of set, you settle and you get sleepy. This is intentional going into it. Like I want to settle and I want to be focused. Um, my boys, for whatever reason, like so coaches, when I'm coaching, I've coached them all the way up. Coaches like for kids to kind of be focused when it's, you know, hey, we've called a timeout. Hey, we've got this going on for whatever reason. Sometimes my and my boys are audible learners, but it can seem so disrespectful. And I know when I've got kids and you're, you're gathering and you, you got the front two kids like, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And, and then literally my boys would be like walking around over here. And they're listening. They can hear something. But I'm just going, get in, focus, look at the coach, nod your head like you know what he's talking about or something. And so this, this intentional focus, this is what this is talking about. And so, um, so together we have this picture. We've, we've paused Shabbat, Sabbath. We've stopped working. We've stopped with busyness. And then we've settled in front of someone to dwell. It's a restful presence. Think of a restful presence. When we used to teach uh, Song of Solomon with the college students, we used to do it every two years because it talks a lot about um, God's expectations for um, godly relationships and marriage and um, identity and sexuality and the way to treat each other and, and looking for a holy person that, and, and are you being a holy person? And so in that, uh, it was always interesting because um, you, you may not think through this, but little girls, when they play together as little girls and as they get up to older ages, they're looking at each other's face a lot. And so they're playing, they're playing dolls, they're playing cups of tea. I don't know, really know what girls do at all, but I think they used to do those things. And so there are a lot of face-to-face -face time. And so it's a lot of interaction face-to-face. -face. What do guys do at a certain age? Guys aren't playing face-to-face. -face. It's more throwing rocks, uh, taking sticks, doing something. If they're face-to-face, -face, they're probably hitting each other. And so guys sit side-by-side, side, and then what happens when they get older, thanks, thanks to video games, is you got a guy sitting over here. You're not looking. It, would it be weird for like 14, two 14-year-old guys or 24-year-old guys, for that matter, to sit facing each other on a couch just talking? Hey, man, so how was your day? Like, that's not real typical, right? And so the weirdness is God goes, I created them that way, and now I'm going to stick them together. The girl comes in thinking, oh, I just, I can't wait. Marriage is going to be so incredible. This person, that one person that's going to appreciate me and love me and, and want to know all about my day, I can't wait to say, hey, why aren't you, hey, look over here. Hey, why aren't you looking at me? Hey, 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 I just want your attention. And so th that's usually what happens. And so, you know, guys are more just kind of just get in and drive. I'll just get in and we're going to focus. We're going to eat. We're going to, whatever the little task is. And girls are thinking, you know, like, oh, this is deep intimacy, face-to-face, -face, sitting on the couch together. And, and I'm not painting all girls that way. But, but there's this picture of quality time means undistracted attention. 
Um, and Jamie, uh, one of the things, if, if you're into that, uh, the five love languages, it's really our deepest theology. I'm joking. So some of you are like, oh, I love five love languages. Some of you are going like, oh, man, I've read books that say that's really bad. It, it's not horribly bad. It's just some tendencies, and you kind of receive love. It's not ext- extremely biblical, but still, people are wired a certain way. So if you have um, uh, one of the biggest ones, that quality time, uh, and I'm a pretty big quality time person. Like, I'm kind of the counselor type. And I remember Jamie and I, we were talking, it was three or four months after being married, and at one point, she, uh, we were doing something. I guess I wasn't paying attention, and she literally grabbed my face and just turned and said, quality time equals undivided attention. And so I was like, oh, man. And then she started hitting me. It was like Amber Heard. It was bad. No, she, she's not like that, and she's not, she's not like obsessive about She's not that wife. It's like that. But like I usually, and I guess I wasn't paying attention this time, and she was like, this is quality time, you know? And so that's the picture of nuach. Like I'm coming before you, God, and I'm sitting. Now, let, let's see how God applies this. Now, let, let, let's take this idea of Sabbath rest, and let's go and see where does this first hit in the Scriptures. So first of all, look at Genesis 1. Um, so um, this idea, it's purposeful, intentional looking. So God says in Genesis chapter 1, so the very first book of the Bible, the very last verse of the first, uh, first book of the first chapter there, or, yeah, of, of the first chapter, says, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So I want you to focus on that, that, that term, God saw. So notice God saw, he, he paused, he did a lot, and he wasn't wore out. God doesn't get tired, he doesn't get um, wore out to where he's like, oh, I just, I'm just weary, I just need some rest. The Bible says that God the Father is not sleeping, Jesus taking on human flesh, 100% human, did need physical rest. God the Father, spirit, invisible, does not need rest in that way. So what kind of rest did he need? So um, it was rest where he saw, he looked back, at what he had accomplished. He looked back at the work that he had done, and he paused and rested and said, ah, that is very good. And then in Genesis 2, next next verse, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. So that's a lot, speaking about a lot. And, And all of the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested, Shabbat. So there's our word, Shabbat, on the seventh day, from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested Shabbat from all his work that he had done in creation. So we see God pausing, looking back at what God had accomplished, looking back at what God had done. Hey, by the way, man is created in it, but man has nothing to do with this at this point. Also, sin has had nothing to do with this. And God looks back and goes, every bit of it is good. And so who is he given, who is he given glory to and credit to? Himself. Not in some prideful thing, where, but he's just going, man, I, to, to look at all that and see how good that is, it just it fills my heart with this is beautiful. This is exactly what I wanted. So it's this beautiful picture that God has. So before there were humans involved, definitely without sin, in a perfect, holy, Trinitarian relationship, why would God Shabbat and Sabbath? He doesn't get tired. He does it because he looks back and he remembers and sees what he has done, and he enjoys creation, and he enjoys himself. That may be new for you, but you've got to know God enjoys himself. You may really feel like God doesn't enjoy anything. He's kind of this taskmaster. Jesus was the better 2.0 version, and he's a little more graceful, but you've got to have a different idea of God the Father. He is enjoying things more than we can imagine. 
He's not worried about 2022 and the rest of the financial year. He's not worried about 2025 and what's going to happen. He's not worried about what's going on in the Ukraine. He's involved and he's compassionate and he cares. He is not worried, wringing his hands, going, oh, oh gosh, I didn't want that to happen. He's not like that. He's enjoying creation. And he's looking at it and he's attributing glory to himself in that. That may be new for you. In Genesis 2, we move on to the second chapter. God sets and he rests mankind in his presence. So in 2.15, so he's created man and woman. The Lord God took the man and put him, nuach. He put him in the Garden of Eden. Our English version almost makes it sound like he, he kind of put him there just to do work. So here's the way ours sounds. The Lord God took man and put him in in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And as Americans, we feel like that. that that's what we do. We're, we're our value and worth based on what we do. And so we read that as that. This was, what was Adam's first response? You think that he set him down like that little bitty toys that used to twist the back and you'd sit it on the, the ground and just take off spinning. Like you think Adam just like went, just like as soon as he sit, sit, hit the ground, just started like doing random works. Like I better get busy. No, first thing is turning around. Oh my God. This is incredible. Look at all this. God, you've done an amazing thing. So there was this idea of reflective, contemplative, restful presence with God, intentional resting in that. And so um, our English version doesn't do that, but it anticipates a restful presence before God, that nuach. So again, this picture of pausing, stopping, settled in front of someone, restful presence. So um, as we see that, God paused to stop to enjoy, to appreciate, and to ascribe glory to himself. So the idea of Sabbath rest is this idea of stopping, ceasing, being intentionally in front of someone with restful presence. Not, not I'm just taking a nap. It, it may be a Sabbath for you. During a Sabbath, you said, I'm going to set aside a whole day or a whole six hours. Maybe part of that is your, your physical body is taking an hour nap or two hour nap, um, and that that's good. Now, if you just nap, you know, six days, seven days a week, and that may just be just still just a nap, and it still could fit in there. But like, it, we're not talking about that. We're talking about an intentional time of resting to look back and remember what God has done. That's what God just example for us. That's what Adam and Eve were going to be teaching to do. And notice what it's doing. It's setting a rhythm of example. It's a rhythm. That God did after six days. So if we go through that, we see that. So now let's consider the seriousness of Sabbath. Um, from God's perspective, why would it be important for humans to take Sabbath rest? Think through this. If you are not, if you're a person who is not pausing, if you're a person who's not taking the time intentionally to pause and remember, maybe sitting in solitude and silence for two minutes, Four minutes just thinking through what God has accomplished on your behalf. And again, here's what pops up. God, I really have this and this and this that I'm really worried about. And God, you know that we need this and we need this and we need... Hey, and by the way, he knows that about us. He's not looking at you like, you fool. It's supposed to be solitude and silence and you keep bringing all that. No, no, no. He wants you to depend on him in that way. He may start weeding some of that stuff out. Like, you know, you don't have to have the new $95,000 Cadillac. You don't really have to have that. You don't have to have the $700,000 house. You don't have to have this kind of whatever... But in that, you're going to him with wants, concerns, heaviness of heart. And he's going, I want to hear that. That's what I'm here for. I want to hear that. I want to show you I'm God. I care. I'm compassionate. But if you're not pausing, you're not remembering, if you're not stopping from work and beholding, how much do we really and actually appreciate God? Just think through that. Just a relationship. Your kids, your wife, your husband. 
You go through the week, you get up, you don't talk to them, you go on, you get ready, you go to work, you're gone for eight hours, you come back in the door, you walk in, you go get something to eat, and, and here are these people standing there like wanting you to interact with them, and you're just going on. Do you think that they would feel that you really love them? Feel that you really appreciate them? You know, we're, we're all kind of treating God sometimes like your insurance card for your car. Like it's there, and when you have that crash, like, oh, thankful I have this, right? But the rest of the time, we just kind of tuck it away. We know it's there. It's only there for a crisis. And a lot of the American church, mainstream churches, treating God just like that, especially if all the teaching you're getting is you going killing it and going doing more and more and more for God or getting more and more and more from God. If that's the main messages and no one's ever saying, hey, why don't you go sit and just wait on the Lord? Who, who, who's waiting for the Spirit? Who, who's doing what Jesus said in Revelation 2? Because this applies specifically to those churches at a particular point in time, what I believe there, in Revelation 2 and 3, when Jesus is speaking to those churches. But what did he keep saying? He who, ha- he, he who has an ear. He who has an ear. Who has an ear for what the Spirit's doing in the churches? Who's taking time to go? And guys, I've been in lots of pastoral meetings where prayer and sitting before the Lord especially in silence, that's awkward for seven or nine or 12 men. Spend 10 minutes in silence. And then, hey, here's the first thing we're going to do, guys. We're just going to start confessing stuff that, that, that God brings up. Man, who, who's doing that? We don't want, hey, let's just, we don't want to do that. We've got to be busier to get God to do something. You see the difference there? If we're, if we're not, are we operating at a shallow depth of appreciation and trust and loving God? Um, if you would describe your current spiritual state as cold or lukewarm, again, we're coming out of two years of COVID. We're coming um, off of you know things where people were just kind of got weird. We had lots of stuff going on. Thank God for elections. They're always fun. And so we have those all the time and stuff. All this political stuff, all these situations going on in our country, uh, the, the, the financial climate, situations going on with war all over, um, all these things. And if you would describe yourself as kind of cold or lukewarm or have been for months, could it be indicative of going through the motions of maybe attending? Going through the motion, we're supposed to, we're supposed to, we're supposed to go to church. We're supposed to act this way. Kids, you're supposed to do this. Keep those. Could it be indicative of going through the motions but not learning to pause and contemplate and remember and read, God, you're beautiful. I shouldn't be able to talk to you. Just, just one day's worth of sins, and I should have been devastated and blown off the earth, much less weeks and months. Or, God, I've tried to be so good and so good, and I found out that that was not ever going to make it to your holiness and righteousness. And I still have sins. Even as good and as pure as I tried to be, it was never going to make it. Why, God? Why would you allow me to come into your presence? taking time to pause and remember what God has done. And not only his beautiful creation and gifts of that, but what he's done in his redemptive work. So what if there were two generations that dropped the emphasis on true rest, learning how to do that, and more on church activity and church busyness, and every sermon added another to-do list? What if you had two generations, 30, 40, 50 years in a, country that was good at pulling up their bootstraps and let's get busy. Production, production, production. And we kind of put aside the idea of rest. 
How many have had parents or grandparents that you, you, you might talk about like, have you guys considered counseling? There's two generations that like, you don't go to counseling. Like you don't bring up your problems. We, even as a family, us and our four or five kids, like we don't even talk about our problems, right? Some of you all have had parents like that. And so if you're like, yeah, we're actually thinking about counseling. Counseling? What's wrong with you? You know, and like, no, no, it's actually like changing your oil. It, it can be a good thing. They can help us just kind of talk through some things. It's a healthy thing. And like two generations, no way, because it was more, instead of being on, on what's going on on the heart level, it's more what external appearances look like. So um, if two generations drop the emphasis on resting before the Lord and more to do with activity, and along with that was a focus on external appearances, but not dealing with heart stuff, what happens? You've got a whole bunch of people who don't know what going and sitting in solitude and silence looks like. You've got pastors, pastors who, who don't know what going and sitting alone in solitude and silence is like. So you start getting greedy and stealing money, little bitty bits. You start making advances at women. It goes all the way to touching kids and, and doing all kinds of junk because why? Because you start having that kind of thought, go sit before the Lord, see what he's going to do. But man, let me get busy and famous. Let me get big and let, let, me, let pride swell and I'm untouchable. What have we seen? That's what we're seeing. Who's going and sitting before the Lord in solitude and silence? What does he want? So you want to see how much you can do? You're going to surprise him or church is going to surprise him? Wait, 2023, God, you don't even know what we're about to do for you. Like, we're going to save more people that you even know about. That, that's literally the thinking if you're pragmatic. Like, we're going to do so much and produce so much, God, we're going to surprise you. Instead of like, hey, God, we are desperately wicked. We are desperately needy. We are completely dependent. If you don't do anything, there's no point. The story of Moses there, when, when God has said, hey, I'll tell you what, you and Israel, y'all go ahead. I'll send some powerful people with you, but just know I'm not going, Moses. And God told him that. And Moses was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If we, we're not going into that land without you, we'll stay here. If we don't get to go with you, it's pointless. So Moses got the hint. So how many Christians are operating not with that liveliness tied into the vine, like Jesus talking about abiding, if you're not abiding in me. So, that type of Christianity may be exactly what many of you learned. Whether it was theologically, apologetically, I'm going to be able to have these little conversations. We're, we're, we're doing all these things. And, and, and granted, so first of all, churches should be serving. We, we could grow 98% in some of these structural things. But I will say this, you don't want to do that and leave behind are we people led by the Spirit of the Lord? And I believe that if, if, if I'm doing that, and if you as individuals are doing that, and now something starts to change, and not just one day, but regular rhythm, that this person now, they're going before the Lord and allowing him time, that their heart is convicted. So we've got these things I always bring up. Conviction. And I wasn't even aware of it. Conviction of sin. I need to go and talk to Jamie. I need to go and talk to the boys about that. You probably grew up in a house. Hey, we go to church. Dang it. Don't you be late. You got to have it tucked in. Clothes like this. Did that same guy come and several times a week talk to you about, hey, I really blew it this week. He confessed sin. Did he show you what repentance looks like? No. What if we were a church that that was the norm? Where moms and dads and individuals and kids saw 
Confession of sin. Saw conviction of sin. Saw repentance. And we showed that. We lived that out. I believe that's spirit-led. I believe that's what God wants. So that's the holiness that we try to do with all these little steps and with all these little things. We're thinking if we do all those things, we'll be more holy. And God's sometimes going, you don't even know me. You're not even listening to me. Yes, I don't want you to go get drunk and kill somebody. I don't want you to sleep around. I don't want you to do that. Those are the givens, but you're still not coming to me. So where are the places that are dependent on the Lord going, if if you don't show up, there's no one going to be saved. There's none of us that are going to grow. There's none of us that are going to love more and care more for others. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really, really weird. So I'm, I'm a very weird person. So I'll just say that and you're probably like, thank you. you. We've all seen that for a long time. I'm, I'm a really kind of deep contemplative type. Now here's what's weird about that. Um, on the surface level, um, I was a very type A personality. And then also, so I was into sports a lot. So it's very typical. A lot of people, like I've had literally people say this, like, oh, you're one of those pastors who love sports. And so you wanted to make it all about yourself in sports. So you had to become a pastor. It's like, like no, no, that's not actually it at all. I tried, I ran from God for like eight years. But so I was into sports, listened to people like Pearl Jam and Metallica, which by the way, they have incredible hearts, rhythms of, of injustice and things like that. So there's this angst for what should be right. They just they look for the wrong things. That type of person you look at and go, you can't be like, you like surfing and you know, Pearl Jam and Metallica and sports. You're about this shallow, right? And so still some of you are like, yeah, I'm, you, you should be seeing this. I'm the type that literally favorite things to do would be sitting at the ocean, dusk, and, and closing my eyes and seeing, seeing the beauty of it and then hearing the power and just hearing that the peace of that, the power of that, um, going and sitting and watching just a sunset, just sitting and watching and just contemplated, so deep contemplative. Worship venues, 20,000 people, 10,000 people. I literally make myself small and sit down. As people are, and I'm talking when people are getting crazy. You got half the charismatics and they're, I mean, people are like just jumping and going. I love when you hear 10,000, 15,000 people screaming these songs to Jesus. Like I just, I make myself small, sit down in a seat and I just cover my face. I, I love to listen. I just am just going, God, this is, you're this big, you're this great that all these people are screaming your greatness. What's heaven going to be like? Because David Crowder's ugly and Shane and Shane and ugly. And one day it's going to be you that all of us, and so I just make myself small, just going, what's it going to be like? And some people are like, thank you, you okay? Oh, okay, he's probably got some huge sin. And I'm just going, I'm just enjoying the presence of God in this. So very deeply contemplative. If I'm like that and I still struggle with feeling like God loves me? What if you're a person that's not like that? And you're more a little bit more bent on task-oriented and these things and these things? How much more of like, I really struggle to know that God loves me. I really struggle to set, any side, set aside any time for that to happen. So if I struggle with that, maybe some of you do also. And so what he wants to do in that is, if you'd get alone, I want you to know I love you. Pause. I love you. Look what I've done. Everything beautiful, great. Look what I've done in creation. Look, 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 look at all I've gifted you with. Look, look what I've done in redemption. I slaughtered my son for you. What, what more could I possibly do? So I just suggest that going and pausing and remembering that can do a lot for our souls.
whether you're the deep contemplative type or you're the, the person that's um, really super, super busy. Christianity, that may be weird from you. And again, if that's what you grew up in, when I keep talking about this grace-orientedness and these things like this, it's like, this doesn't sound like Christianity. I'm afraid we're going to do this. A Christianity that comes out of that is not based upon how much you do for God. It's also not based on your good external appearances or even how morally upright you are. So right there, some people check out and go, oh, there goes Sankey again. Like it doesn't matter if we sin. No, you will not go to that place and sit in silence and start remembering your righteousness. You get along with God, you're not going to be laying out for him your righteousness and your moral uprightness. You get along with him and your sins become huge and you need a huge, huge God. And so in those times, pausing, that's a different type of Christianity for some people. Because in pausing, resting, and gazing, you won't see that. All you will see is what he's done. So um, I want you to think through that. In Exodus, there are some places where he goes, and he brings up just the seriousness of our sin. So look at these slides that we have on Exodus 16 there, the, the, the main key phrase there. Look down at verse um, 6 there. At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so what he, is, he was doing there was they were complaining, saying, we don't have anything. You brought us out of slavery in Egypt, and, and now we don't have anything. They're like, we should go back. We got, we got meat pots. And so the Egyptians, to keep them working on the task, 20 hours a day sometimes, was they would set meat pots, just meat, so they could eat and then get whipped and then get back to work. A slave in Egypt, their only value was on how fast they worked, how much they produced, and God comes into Israel and says, hey, here, here's what I want you to remember about this. I want you to remember I'm the God who delivered you out of slavery. What, what is that for New Testament believers? He's the God who rescued us and delivered us out of slavery to sin. Your identity is not based on how much you do or how much you produce. Just like Egypt slaves, your identity is based on I am the God who brought you out of slavery. Would you pause and Sabbath and think through the work that I've done? Not only creation, but the redemptive work that I've done. And I promise it will turn to greater worship, greater affections for you. Same thing in, in the next section of Exodus. Um, he goes on. Um, the people are still complaining. And he, he brings manna. He gives uh, quail at night and manna during the day. Um, he goes through this whole situation and um, all the people, they don't, they don't get the point. And so this idea of awe in God, if you're pausing and remembering, you, you see what God has provided, you see what God has provided in, in redemption, um, and do you see how easily the people of Israel take God and his provision for granted? They lost awe because, you know what? Redemption and rescuing is old news. I'm well aware I'm well acquainted with the story. What do you have new for me, God? And that's the American church sometimes. I'm well acquainted with the story. I'm well acquainted with Jesus died, died for my sins. What's entertaining? What's better than that? Give me something better. Give me something to do instead of pausing, resting, remembering. Um, sometimes it feels better to do things than to sit and rest. 
as you go on through the rest of it, um, most people would see the Ten Commandments. So we know Exodus and the Ten Commandments. We see clearly that, uh, man, Sabbath rest is number four. So after um, you shall have you know, no other gods before me, I'm the only God, you shall have no idols. And then, um, then he goes on to number four and just Sabbath rest. Why would he do that? So um, he gives context and he gives pictures that he wanted them to understand before he goes into the Ten Commandments. In, in Exodus 20, verse 2, says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. There's his context. Before he goes into the top ten list, what does he tell them? The reason that you perform this list is not to make it to me or to be good enough for me, I want you to know, first of all, the context of the Ten Commandments is that I brought you out and rescued you out of slavery. That, that's, that's his context of the Ten Commandments. Um, like I said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol. And he gives a whole bunch of commentary on that one. Then he goes on to um, not taking the Lord your God in vain. So on those, think through, why would number four be Sabbath rest? Why would that be so important? A lot of times in the church, again, we have confusion on that. Um, He says in verse 8 there, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that's in. So here, here, stop, pause, remember all that God has done. And then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so, oh, okay. So, so we keep the rule because God kept the rule. No, it's, it's not about that. It's not about that. Why, why do we keep the rule? Because I'm the Lord your God who brought you out. The context of the rule, the, the intent of the rule is not just to see if you'll keep the rule because God kept the rule. He's not trying to be an example maker. And then you just have to follow the example just for written. No, the reason for it is it leads you into worship because you look back by pausing and resting and remembering. And so the, the big picture that I would press to you to think through on Sabbath until we get to next week, and I'll have some, some practical resources on that, would be thinking through, do I have times? It could be during the day. It could be one whole day that you do set aside. And, and in that, you're pausing intentionally, and you're resting, so resting not just taking a nap, but pausing your work, and also pausing your striving. So sometimes Sundays or Saturdays just get filled up with, oh, that's the day we catch up on on everything else, right? And so instead of pausing and looking back, and so remembering, seeing what God has done, and then attributing Him glory for that. And I would suggest even if you want to move into the solitude and silence with the scriptures, not, not, not solitude, silence, meditating on just whatever you think or navel gazing, but instead of through the scriptures, reading, have a few passages that you read and then let your mind just pause and just say, God, I'm just setting aside some time right now in your presence, intentionally in your presence. Um, if we do that, I believe that opens the door for spiritual growth. I believe that opens the door for renewal. I believe that opens the door for things that, that people um, don't even realize that God's wanting to do. Um, in the Old Testament, um, we have a, I have a slide up there that shows the, the, these are the things that they tied to the Sabbath. I think it's got a table up there, Mike. Um, 
this is the 39 extra things they added to Sabbath. To Sabbath well, you want to please God? You want to go to heaven? Here's the things you better watch out for on the Sabbath day. You do not do these things. You don't carry anything. You don't burn anything. You don't extinguish anything. And each one of these had rules and and further explanations. So for instance, um, for, for the carrying... Listen to this. Carrying carrying is really the prototype of all other types of Sabbath work. Because in the idea of carrying, in a sense, by not carrying, we relinquish our ownership of everything and we admit that everything is God. Sounds good. Sounds good. Maybe a couple in our small group will notice they don't even carry anything. We can ask them, hey, how are you so holy? We don't carry anything. Uh, New list. Got three more families getting in that line, right? Well, we would eat this up. We would eat this up. Uh, Even such trivial things as a key or a handkerchief must be left at home. Certainly, pocketbooks, purses, wallets, keychains should not be carried at all. They also include things that may not be used as Sabbath, such as pencils, candles, and money. So that's just carrying, burning. This involves making a fire or causing anything to burn. Even throwing a toothpick into a fire is considered a violation of the Sabbath. So how do you cook? You should have thought ahead. You should have prepared a fire that was going to last later on. So they literally have all these rules. And so next week we're going to see Jesus dive into a culture of people that had this heaped up on top of them. And remember his famous words? Hey, he he who is weary and heavy, laden by the law, steeped in rules and religion, Come to me, my burden's light, and I will give you Shabbat, rest. That's what I want to give you. I want to give you me. And so, a beautiful picture. So we'll go into that next week, and we'll hit a couple more of these. So what I'd leave you with is thinking through on Sabbath. um, What was your idea formally about what Sabbath rest was? What was your idea about what rest was? And think through now, this week, what does that look like for me? Are there times when I, whether that's a daily rest, and they call these daily offices, and they even have like little books, and this, is a, this, is a, this isn't these guys, this is a Jewish system here. But uh, through the centuries, believers, true believers, had things like three times a day that you could have daily prayers. I'm gonna have some examples for you next week. Uh, a couple of times, maybe just one time. Maybe that's in the morning, maybe that's in the evening, but where you're pausing and resting. Then is there a bigger time of the week where you set aside time just to intentionally, respectfully, and, and, and purposely, intentionally go before him? So that's what we'll look at next week. Um, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, a beautiful picture in Exodus where, where God shows his provision of rest and his provision of, hey, on this day, I'm going to provide for you food to eat. So that picture of manna, that picture of God providing this food for their physical nourishment, but also their spiritual nourishment. The same thing comes across in the New Testament picture of Jesus breaking bread, spilling, uh, or giving wine, and then him spilling his blood and, and taking his body and saying, take, eat, this is my flesh. Drink, this is my blood. This is what the new covenant is. That was a picture in the Old Testament of how God provided. He had brought you out of uh, out of slavery and redeemed you and rescued you and then provided this spiritual nourishment. 
here is this meal. Take, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Remember the early church, that was weird. When your neighbor said, hey, we're going to this meeting. You want to come with us? We're going to eat the flesh of Jesus, the guy who died in, in Jerusalem, and we're going to drink his blood. And, and the, you know, they didn't see that that was kind of weird for people. Like, no, I think we'll pass. And so uh, that was the early understanding of the way, Christianity. And so when we get to do this, this is, goes all the way back to God's picture that in the same way that God is doing this, this is a beautiful picture of us resting, not striving for being good enough, not striving for your, your own righteousness, not striving with earning anything. In the Lord's Supper, every week, we're saying we are resting in this, this work that you've done. Symbolically, we, we, we rest in this. And so that's what we get to participate with. So um, let me pray. As Brad comes up, you guys, after I pray, you guys can partake of the Lord's Supper. Father, we are thankful for um, not just rest, but what we get in rest, and that is you alone. We thank you that Sabbath and rest leads us to you. Would you help us to have, just first, Father, would the Spirit just let us see if that's even scary for us? Sitting in your presence can be a very scary thing, and, and I know that you're aware of that, but sometimes we forget that you're aware of that. So would you just remove that burden, that, that fear factor of being alone with God himself? Many of us don't handle that well, either corporately or individually. So would you allow us to see that that is one of the greatest things that we could ever imagine, our rest in you? Would you help us to have hearts that would understand the beauty of that? We thank you for the new covenant that shows us that none of that was going to earn our way to you. We thank you that it is all based upon what your work in Christ has done. So if there's people here struggling with, I failed this week, shame and guilt from that, for them to partake because of the beauty of Christ and his cross, his blood and his body. For those who are, who are not believers, Father, would you allow, would you send the Spirit to allow them to understand that the depth of their sin, to understand the, the conviction of sin that's needed, the confession, the repentance, and then the renewal and rest in Christ. All of Sabbath rest brings up these matters of justification and of sanctification. So we thank you for our service where we get to rest in you. We thank you for the Lord's Supper where we get to rest from our own works and we get to completely trust in your works. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.